This is the Action Network Podcast. Oh, now do you believe these guys are good? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Action Network Podcast. This is your 2022 Stanley Cup playoff preview. I'm Michael Eboff. Joining me is my action colleague, Nicholas Martin, and Pete Jensen is joining us today from NHL.com. And gentlemen, we're going to start off with a bang. Right away, give the folks a little bit of an actionable takeaway here. Our favorite Stanley Cup future that's still available as we look forward to the game ones on Monday night. Nick, I'm going to start with you. What teams uh, on the board right now would you be interested in betting if you're going into this tournament without a future in your pocket? So if I was going in with nothing, I would still have the Avs at plus 375 on my list that I would play. I just think they're the best team in hockey by a decent margin. They have a pretty good path coming out of the West compared to all the elite teams in the East. So I just think with how strong they are, they're still going to win the cup more at a high enough clip that we have some value at plus 375. I know it's not a lot of fun to make the square takes in hockey, but I definitely think we have a good one here with how dominant this avalanche group is. Yeah, I, I can see the path here. I thought if if Colorado had caught Dallas uh, in, in the first round, it would be a little bit tricky spot. But with Nashville and, and, and David Riddick instead uh, in round one, it, it does give Colorado uh, probably the easiest round one matchup in the West. Uh, I like the Bruins. Uh, I've been talking about the Bruins uh, a bunch since fe- February, and they haven't really moved since uh, that time. They were 22 to one. They, you can find them at 20 to one uh, at most books right now. Boston leads the NHL this season once again in expectables against and high danger chances uh, prevented. So it's a team that their goaltending will be called into question. Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman as a tandem will be playing their first uh, playoff ever. I mean, Swayman got a, a cup of coffee last year, but Allmark's been with the Sabres for, for so long, so he hasn't made the playoffs. It will be Allmark, uh, his net to lose to start, but the defense just does such a good job on making life easy in front of those guys that I don't think it's a huge deal. And if Boston gets through that round one matchup, then they'll play Pittsburgh or New York rather than Toronto or, uh, you know, uh, or excuse me, or rather than Florida in round two, getting through the, the, the Toronto series. So their, their path is open. They just got to get through mm-hmm. that significant hurdle of Carolina. Nick, I know you're interested too in Boston, a team that, that is near and dear to you as well. For sure. I definitely think they should be right there with the other, with the Carolinas and some of those other Eastern teams. They've been so good in 2022. Um, yeah, I just and I think head to head that top line is going to win so many of the matchups, which is huge. Like I think even when we look to this Carolina series, I think Bergeron's still going to get the best of the Aho matchup, and I just think, especially if the power play can get clicking a little better, which we've seen historically from this unit. So I definitely think there's a lot of upside with the Bruins. Yeah, and they're coming into the the playoffs. I think six and six in the last twelve. So I think that is kind of why this number is still out there, uh, even mm-hmm. though their underlying metrics have been have been really good in that stretch. Like you're you're getting a team that is flying under the radar a little bit, uh, and ended up, you know, just so happened to end up in probably the best I spot. Was a little not to try to drum up this narrative. It might not be a thing, but I was a little suspicious of the resting everyone in a spot where they could have still theoretically moved up the standings. And they sat everyone and played a pretty terrible game. So I, I don't know. It was, I'm not trying to say maybe they wanted this, but it didn't seem like they're really trying to push and get that third spot in the final game. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think if if you look at all the playoff, uh, you know, the, the seedings, not including, you know, Colorado and Florida finishing at top of the division, but the Rangers and the Bruins, I think 
the Metro two and the wild card one ended up being the probably the best places you wanted to be. Boston's there 20 to one like them. Uh, all right, let's bring in Pete here. Um, anybody you think uh, is, is a, is a potential sleeper that can upset the apple cart here in the 16 team tournament, Pete. Well, Mike, we were talking about it right off the get go when we saw the matchups and we saw that Boston would go to the other side of the bracket. I mean, that makes them an obvious choice in the East. Uh, and we know their playoff pedigree through the years. One team that I'm more excited about than ever before for the Stanley Cup playoffs is the Minnesota Wild. I feel like if the Colorado Avalanche slip up against anybody, it would probably be in the Western Conference, the Minnesota Wild. They roll three strong lines. If Flurry has a hiccup, they'll go to Talbot. He's been just as good since the Flurry trade. Yeah, I love those kind of grinder type guys like Erickson Eck and you know Greenway if he's healthy, those type of guys. The second line with Fiala and Matt Boldy has been as good as any line in the entire league over the final month of the season. So, and Boldy, uh, not many people realize, led all rookies in points per game this year. So what's not to like about Minnesota? It would be a daunting matchup in round two, but it's one that I'm, you know, I'm in our picks on NHL.com, I'm picking them to get past uh, their rival, the Blues, in the first round. And then second round could be anyone's guess. And, you know, like you guys were saying earlier, like I picked the Avs to win the cup at the beginning of the season. So like I kind of always trace back to that. But if you're coming in with a clean slate, the Wild, I think, are a great team to uh, to look at here as a potential upset in the second round if that matchup happens. I think Minnesota uh, really rounded into good defensive form as well down the stretch, too. They're they're right up there with Boston in terms of preventing uh, scoring chances. I do think that that. St. Louis matchup is real tricky. Uh, I like the blues quite a bit um, in that perspective, but we'll get there. All right. Uh, so that's it. We like the Bruins. We like the ads. We like the wild. Uh, if you're looking to shop for, uh, or root, looking for a team to root for uh, off the jump, if you, if you don't have one, or if maybe if you do, and you want to add to your portfolio, those are our three picks. Uh, now let's get into series by series. We'll start in the Metro. Nick, were you surprised when the odds came out for Rangers, uh, the series odds came out for Rangers and Penguins, I think most people would have assumed the Rangers would have opened as a, I want to say considerable favorite, but a favorite minus 130-ish, I think was probably what most people had in their mind. They open up as an underdog, even money. Uh, that has shortened a little bit. They're now a pick on the series money line, minus 110, either way between New York and Pittsburgh. Uh, what do you see here? I was, yeah, I definitely fully agree. Uh, I was pretty surprised to see them open uh, as an underdog, I like the Rangers. I loved them at the original price and at a pick em price. I still think there's value. I, I think they've re- they've just been playing so much better the last two months where they're not just leaning on Shesterkin. But with that said, Shesterkin's going to be such a massive edge compared to DeSmith that I think there's some value there. And then I, I just think it's really likely we could see this playing out kind of close to the way the Penn series with the Islanders played out last year. And I, yeah, so for a lot of the same reasons, I think it could just be something like Rangers and six, where Shesterkin just offers a big edge and the gameplay runs maybe a little closer than I think people are expecting. I think uh, one thing to keep in mind here with, which is funny, less, less you're going into that series with the Islanders, Penguins fans and Penguins backers were up in arms and, and really upset because Casey DeSmith got hurt and Tristan Jari was going to have to start. And now this year it's completely uh, flipped where Tristan Jari got hurt late in the year and DeSmith has to come in. Uh, but DeSmith last 12 games, 925 save percentage uh, plus 4.22 goals saved above expected. So he's been better. And I do think um, there is 
a path to success. There's a lot of path to success for either team, obviously, in a, in a, in a coin flip. But with Crosby's two-way dominance, uh, he, he should be able to win some matchups against one of the, the Rangers' top lines. And if you can take one of those lines out, then you're you're talking about a battle between the bottom six group. And, and I do think that Pittsburgh, especially with Andrew Kopp being back, uh, banged up, Panarin was banged up going in. You don't know where these guys are. I think Adam Fox is, is dealing with something as well. I think that there was an argument to be made that I don't think people were considering that Pittsburgh is kind of deserving of being around this price. That said, I, I don't think at these numbers, I, I would bet anything. I think if, if they flipped, if Pittsburgh was like plus 110, then I, then I would go into it. But uh, nothing for me here. And I think that this uh, series did catch people off guard just when it opened. Uh, Pete, how do you think Rangers Penguins will shake out? Are you with Nick here thinking that Shesterkin will be the difference? It's tough because I, I'm really I can I'm, I can warm up to both of these teams. I think they're both happy that they don't have to play a team like the Islanders in the first round. You know, with how things have evolved for Pittsburgh, losing two of their past three first round exits against New York, and then on the other side, like I think there's a real question about how much the Rangers rely on Chesterkin and the shift in style of play. We know that scoring's up in the league across the board this year, but things usually shift come playoff time, right? And it's a different style. And I think we've seen the Rangers get humbled a little bit um, last year. And even this year, they haven't been, you know, they've been quick to bounce back, but they've had some some ugly losses in the second half, um, just if you want to pinpoint a few. So, yeah, I mean, I have the Rangers. Um, I think it's going to be close. I think, um, you know, the play of like, some of the trade deadline acquisitions are going to be huge on both sides, whether it's Ricard Raquel on Malkin's line or Andrew Kopp and Frank Vetrano playing in the top six for the Rangers. So overall, I think uh, with the play of the two teams down the stretch of the season, the Rangers have been a little stronger in my book. And, uh, you know, this could be the last hurrah for some of these Pittsburgh guys, right? All the UFAs, Malkin, Latang, Brian Rust has cooled off after his hot start. So yeah, kind of leaning towards the New York Rangers. I think there's a path for the Rangers, especially if Freddie Anderson is banged up, which it sounds like he still is for Carolina, right? The Rangers have a pretty high ceiling here. They could maybe get to the conference final. I'm interested to see how the first few games of the playoffs also shake out in terms of, you said the scoring's up across the league. Um, And also we, we, we do tend to think that refs will call the game a little tighter um, and the Rangers are, are very reliant on that that power play, which was you know near the top of the league all, all season long. And Pittsburgh, when they are cooking, they win from the back to the front, right? They have a great defensive uh, structure, and they make life easy in front of their goalies as well, just like the Bruins. That that form wavered in the middle of the season, but it started to to tick back up uh, as Peng- the Penguins went down the stretch. So, like you guys said, you guys lean towards the Rangers. I just I don't have any from a betting perspective any uh, play here. I will play. Uh, the game one odds are out. It's Rangers are minus 125, the Penguins plus 105. I think these games are essentially coin flips. If, if someone's going to be plus money, I'll take Pittsburgh in game one uh, plus 105. And uh, with that, let's move on to the other series in the Metro. That's Carolina. I was a little surprised here too with the way this opened. Minus 115 as uh, short, short favorites against the Bruins, minus 105. I thought they would flip. I thought the Bruins would be a slight favorite considering what Pete was just talking about. Freddie Anderson uh, being out for Carolina. They'll go with likely anti Ranta or their rookie goalie, Peter, Peter Kochekov uh, in, in the series. You could see both, but the same could be true of the Bruins with Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman. I made a case for the Bruins uh, off the jump 
this is an incredible defensive team and they got stronger defensively at the deadline with Hampus Lindholm, him and Charlie McAvoy may be the best defense pairing in this kind of Metro bracket now uh, in terms of two-way play, right? Like we know that they can, they can score, but defensively, boy, they're tough to play against. And that is huge against Carolina, a team that the offense drives the bus, right? Second in terms of generating expected goals and high danger chances at five on five. So we're getting strength versus strength here. I like Boston on the series line. I like Boston, their game one, they're even money. And like I said, I like them 20 to one to win the cup. I'm going to be investing in a bunch of different ways on the Bruins before this tournament starts. So I'll be on the bees here. Uh, Nick, what do you have? I'm also uh, going with the Bruins in this one. Uh, one thing I, I like to note with Carolina, and I think it's shown in some of their playoff runs, Obviously, they had the one to round three under Rod. But I do think that their offensive analytics get boosted from the types of chances that they're willing to settle for. So they love to burn shots from everywhere, which, like, as we know, any shot tracks is something. But they don't love to be overly creative. And I think it, it comes a lot from Rod, where he just really likes to preach, like, let's get every single possible puck on the net. If the goalie's set and you're in deep, still shoot, which I think compared to a team like the Blues and the Wild, who we believe in goals scored above expected. There's a reason why Carolina always settle on this list where they've been on it on the leaders for goals below expected pretty much every season under Rod. And I think that that's just, it's something where I could see the Bruins limiting them to exactly what they want and just letting Swayman make 40 saves a game, whatever, probably a lower number against the Bruins, but you know what I mean? Where it's going to be, they're getting a lot of shots and then they aren't fully comprehending why they're aren't more goals. And I think this kind of narrative showed out, uh, showed last season versus Tampa where the play was relatively close and you could probably be watching it as a Carolina fan complaining that it ended in five games. But I just think the strength of Tampa to still create the kinds of chances that are always going to be goals showed through. And I think we could see something like that in this Carolina series where they can't quite generate the kinds of chances that are actually going to lead to offensive or lead to goals. It's interesting. I think Carolina excels at doing two things, right? They're, they're good off the four check and they're great at creating chaos in front of the net by, and they just pump pucks, you know, towards the goalie from everywhere. And then they try to just get as many bodies in, uh, in and around the blue paint as possible, but against the Bruins who, like you said, that kind of plays into their strength, right? They'll absorb that, that pressure. And then they'll spring a counter and nobody's better at, you know, if these odd man rushes going the other way at the end of an offensive ship for the opposing team than the Bruins are with, with Pasternak, Marchand, Bergeron, uh, you know, Jake DeBrusque is, is playing really well right now too. Um, and I just think, you, you know, you're looking at the odds here that it is essentially saying it's, it's a coin flip. It's as close to a coin flip as you can get without making it a pick them basically. Um, and I, I'll take the Bruins to win along the margins in, in what should be once again, another close series uh, in the East. All right, Pete, let's move to you. Uh, we talked about the Bruins off the jump. Are you making it three for three and picking the Bruins here over the Canes? I want to just mention that there is some real appeal, even with the Freddie Anderson injury. And that's why I'm ultimately taking the Bruins in my picks on NHL.com. But I just wanted to mention when I dug a little deeper, obviously the Carolina Hurricanes have dominated the Bruins this season, outscored them 16 to one and swept the season series three to none. So, and then when you look at historically, the Bruins have beaten them twice in the past four years in the playoffs. So you could certainly say uh, maybe this is the best Hurricanes team that the Bruins have faced. No Tuka Rask anymore for Boston uh, with his playoff form from years past. So, yeah, it's it's kind of like Carolina's do in a way. But the one tipping point for me in why I like Boston 
is that Boston has more scoring depth than they have maybe dating back to the 2011 cup final run when they won the whole thing. I mean, they have DeBrusque playing really well down the stretch, 16 points in his final 18 games, scored 25 goals this year, playing with Marchand and Bergeron. And then that second line with Taylor Hall, Pasternak and Eric Howell. I think Eric Howell is like a big X factor for the Bruins because if he can play well and keep Pasternak on his line and spread out the scoring, the Bruins are just a much more dangerous team, especially considering they're in that other side of the bracket. One note I would make, I don't want to come off like I'm entirely low on Carolina. Like I respect them as a cup contender. And I do think they insulated Freddie Anderson way more effectively than I think a lot of people are crediting when they talk about that loss. So I totally, I still view this as just two really, really sharp teams, but I, I just getting a plus number on the Bruins like them a little more. But I think to see Ranta still able to post really strong numbers is definitely very possible as well, just with how elite their defensive play has been. Yeah, I think um, you know, the, the goaltending in a weird way has just become a wash because Olmark is, is, is in great form too. Out of nowhere, um, 934 save percentage with a plus 5.82 goal saved above expected in his last 14. And we saw if they have to go to Swayman, uh, if, if Olmark does stumble, he's shown pretty well. Uh, and for a little while, there was probably number three uh, in terms of rookie of the year contenders uh, as we were kind of hitting around Valentine's Day. He, he did start to wear down a little bit, but he's he's someone who has shown very well in his in his limited NHL sample size. So the two goaltending situations are funny because they, they do kind of mirror each other. Well, uh, in a weird way, in terms of, you know, unproven goalies, sure, but goalies who have shown well down the stretch, plus they're playing behind uh, Nick, like you said, Carolina's great defensively in around their own net. And uh, Boston has been one of the best defensive teams for you know, basically a decade now. So uh, no signs of showing up, uh, slowing up from the Bruins here. But I think, you know, we, we were all talking about at these prices. It looks like Boston for us. Um, let's go over to the Atlantic now. We'll start with the, the the closer of the two uh, series in the Atlantic bracket. Toronto, minus 120. They have home ice advantage over the two-time defending cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. They're even money on the series money line. Game one reflects the same as the series, minus 120 for Toronto at home. Tampa, plus 100. I think that will probably tick up towards 105, 110 by the time the puck drops. Um, it really comes down to the Leafs don't really have a chance in the series if, if Jack Campbell doesn't play the way we've seen him the last two weeks and then the first three months of the season if he plays like the jack campbell we saw between december 1st and march 1st uh the leafs are in a lot of trouble here but i do think it's more likely we'll see the campbell that you know has been playing for the past couple weeks not dominant by any stretch of it but uh competent and when you play average goaltending behind this toronto maple leafs team you do give them you know more than a 50 percent chance on on most nights because they can score at will whether that offense translates into playoff hockey is, is a question that's been asked about this team a lot. Um, and I think when people ask that question, they just assume it's, it, you know, the playoffs are just a different environment, but most of the time you're playing against the reason that scoring goes down in the playoffs is because you play against good teams every night. You're not playing against teams who are finishing 28th in the league. And then the next night you'll play a good team. And then the next night you'll play a team that finishes 22nd. You're playing the Tampa Bay lightning every night. You're going to be seeing Victor Hedman on, on Austin Matthews. So that's why I think that, Tampa Bay at plus money is, is appealing to me. I think this is, once again, you're talking about a 50-50 matchup, even with Toronto having home ice advantage, because I, I think Tampa Bay plays a style of game that can give them many different avenues to, to beating the least, whereas Toronto needs this series to basically go one of one or two ways for them to have a chance. Nick, uh, 
throughout the, se- the season, you've been more bullish on Toronto than I have. And it's definitely paid off in the regular season. Do you think this number is too short on Toronto? No, I, I definitely wouldn't argue too short. Uh, for me, it's just a no play. I can really see this one going either way. Um, there's obviously a lot of arguments as to why the lightning should best them again. Uh, I, yeah, for me, it's just, it's easy to look at it and kind of see both sides. I think, I think it's also an interesting one for the team that loses game one, especially if it's a close one to maybe buy back in on them in a series price. Cause you'll, you'll see that you'll see the number balloon, obviously in a, in a best of seven, because this is another one that I think, you know, six or seven games is, is very likely here. Uh, Pete, this should be a really good one, a really tight one. Do you think Toronto has enough to get through here? I mean, I I lean with with Tampa just because I think that with the big five healthy, like who's really going to beat that team four out of seven times? It doesn't matter if it's the Avalanche. It doesn't matter if it's – I mean, the Avalanche could do it. That's the one team I think could do it. Florida maybe could do it. But uh, Toronto, I feel like, is more flawed than those two other teams I mentioned. Uh, it helps that they have home ice a little bit. But then again, if you lose one of the first two at home, it doesn't even matter anymore. Like Tampa Bay uh, has the upper hand again. So Tampa Bay's task is to go in and win one in Toronto. They're more than capable of doing that, especially with Tampa. I look at them all season long, appeared to be in a little cruise control mode. They've played a lot of hockey. They won the past two cups. I mean, the past week or so, the way Stamkos is playing, the way everybody's playing on that team, including the secondary guys, big games from Killorn. You see, like, even we talk about how they don't have as much depth as the past two years. They still got 40 points from Corey Perry. They still got career years from Killorn and Hedman and Stamkos over 100 points. I mean, we've never seen that level of play from Stamkos before. So long story short, I still think, um, the lightning or the team to beat until I see otherwise. And the narrative of Toronto, Oh, this is going to be the year they're going to break through. They have to actually step up and show us that they're capable of doing that. Because like you said, they're kind of like, they're not one dimensional, but they can't have another postseason where Austin Matthews only scores one goal or Mitch Marner um, is quiet, right? They need these guys to finally replicate what they did in the regular season and uh, I'm just, I'm not convinced. I, I'm, I'm not convinced quite yet, but they're certainly capable of doing it. They earned home ice. And, um, you know, I personally hope this series goes deep because it's, it probably has the most drama of any of the series in the entire postseason right now. The uh, Michael Bunting situation is also worth monitoring, even if he does play game one. The way Sheldon Keith talked about his injury right off the jump makes you think he won't be close to 100%. He's been a huge uh, part of that that top line with Marner and Matthews, uh, and like you were saying, Pete, it's it. People were saying last year and the year before you, the Leafs don't have the secondary scoring to to bail them out of uh, of a series if if Marner and Matthews don't show up. But the, the truth is they do. It's like it, but they need Matthews and Marner. Like like they do have plenty of secondary scoring. They have William Nylander and John Tavares behind those guys. Like they can definitely get performances from them. But they it's just the way that this team is. Like they need. Marner and Matthews to perform at such an elite level that when they're playing against someone like Victor Hedman or, or Ryan McDonough, uh, every shift, it's, it's going to be harder for them to do it. So I think that's part of the problem here. Whereas Tampa, sure. Like you can, if you shut down, um, you know, you, know, you could see March or or TJ Brody, 
uh, have a good series against, uh, you know, Steven Stamkos or Nikita Kutra, but that third line for Tampa right now looks like it, it will be the one that should win in, in terms of the bottom six battle here. Um, so I just think, you know, the numbers, the, the number for me is, is simple, right? I think Tampa has slightly better than a coin flips chance here. Uh, we've seen it and the goaltending could be a huge, huge edge. Like we haven't even talked about Andre Vasilevsky whose form, I wouldn't want to say it, 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 it wasn't near Vasilevsky's ceiling for the past couple months, but until he, he's earned the benefit of the doubt in terms of, you know, we'll see you know, if, if, if you're truly off your game, like you, you can get a couple of games before we see it, Nick. Um, I guess the question here is like, if it comes down to goaltending, like the Leafs, if, if it is goaltending is going to decide series, the Leafs really don't have much of, of a hope. No, I think that obviously they're going to need to carry slightly more of the play and do a really good, good job creating chances that Vasilevsky just has no hope on. Um, I think two notes that I would make on this series, kind of just based on the narratives that I could see it possibly going down. So I think if we somehow saw something like Toronto getting up 2-1 heading into game four or maybe 3-1 and the line gets, there's a lot of people, because people love to think teams have to win in the playoffs, which is a thing that I love to watch for. So for instance, last year we saw with Vegas and Montreal, I felt it was pretty clear Montreal were at least giving themselves a coin flip chance every game. And then by game six, we still saw them as a big favorite. And I think something like that, where people just assume that one team has to win based on how it's going in this series could hold a lot of value. So for instance, something like Toronto getting up 3-1, heading home, and if they've clearly just been the better team, I think we could see some value just backing them to close it out. Or the opposite, where uh, Tampa are clearly just dominating, they're finding whatever easy goals off Campbell, something along those lines. And people are going to move the price so that we get so basically people will be chasing a win from the team that's been getting outplayed. And I think it's possible we see something like that in this series more often than maybe people are expecting where one team just kind of is clearly controlling it. One example I've always brought up in terms of that, of of betting against the must-win narrative, I think in the Knights' first season, they went up 3-0 on the Kings. Yes, that's a really good example. Right, right? so like everyone thought when the Knights stole the first two games, like, oh, there's no way Los Angeles is going to go down 2-0. And the line, the Kings line got hammered. And I just remember thinking Mm -hmm. the the Knights were were better. They're playing them. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're playing better hockey. It doesn't mean you have to win just because you're down. And I think we see that a lot every playoff. Another really good example was... It was obviously about as shocking as it could get, but when Columbus went up 3-0 over Tampa and game four, they're still a heavy underdog. And it's, we've seen like Tampa gave it, they're all in game three and they got outplayed and lost. So I think that's always a good narrative to watch for in the playoffs. Like That's where I love some of these single bets a lot more, especially there's just those ones where it's so clear one team's kind of figuring them out, doing all the right things. It's, it's funny, like we, we talk about numbers so much uh, at Action Network on, on these podcasts, but, you know, the eye test does, you need to be able to incorporate eye tests and, and your raw handicapping skills into uh, the numbers, especially in, in the playoffs in a controlled environment, like a best of seven series where it's the same teams playing each other over and over and over again. All right, uh, let's wrap up the Eastern Conference with the Panthers. They are the biggest favorite in the East. They're minus 340 on the series line against Nick. Your Washington Capitals will be up front. Nick is a Washington Capitals fan, so uh, he will be looking at this with uh, red, white, and blue colored tinted glasses. The Caps are plus 260 here. I think there is some some sharp people here backing Washington at the series price uh, because it's it's just a numbers play. They can if they can get the goaltending from Vitek Vanacek to, to keep them in games with Florida's propensity to give up scoring chances and their goaltending issues of their own, 
there is a path here for for a team with the scoring and the clinical scoring that, that Washington has. They obviously have some of the best finishers and playmakers in the league. I do think 260 is probably a little short, but if it was where it was kind of opening in, in that 300 range, I would I would be backing Washington. But for here, it's it's nothing for me. I think the Panthers will likely win the series going away, but you know, 30% chance for Washington, I think is maybe a touch, uh, touch thin here. Uh, before we go to you, Nick, because you're the fan, we'll go to Pete first. Can you make an argument here for Washington? I mean, if you're going to say they're healthy at the right time, maybe they get the second line juice that we haven't seen all season long consistently. Like the inconsistency for Washington is what troubles me and their chances of actually winning this series. Any given game, I think the Caps are one of the only teams out there that you can absolutely never count them out in any given game, home or road. Who's playing, who's not playing, it doesn't matter. That team is extremely resilient. They can score with anyone. And, you know, their goaltending's a little shaky, but they get the wins more time than not. They had over 100 points this season as the last team in the Stanley Cup playoffs in the East, which is really impressive. So, yeah, I don't think you can count them out, but you have to see more consistency and more scoring pop from Nicholas Backstrom, who's having one of his worst seasons in recent memory. Um, Anthony Mantha, I think, has been underwhelming since the trade last year. And TJ Oshie has dealt with a lot of injuries. Whether those guys are all playing together on the second line or kind of broken up a little bit on the second and third lines, if they don't get much from those guys, it'll probably be a very quick series uh, for Washington. But if those guys start scoring a lot on Bob and Spencer Knight, which I think both guys will probably play in the playoffs for Florida, no matter how short or long their run is, um, then it could get really interesting because then uh, we could see one of the more exciting series in the entire postseason field. And Washington certainly capable of swinging, uh, you know, pulling the upset if things go right for them. And I think that in, in terms of coaching, right, this is going to be Andrew Brunette's first playoff series he took over for Florida in the middle of, or I should say, like during the middle of the first quarter of the season for Joe Quenville, he's got a big decision to make in goal. And also with Laviolette, like, you know, that he's going to set his team up in, in the, Florida has a specific way of playing. They're going to play that repeatable style over and over and over again, no matter their opponent, they're going to bet on themselves to come up, come ahead in, in scoring chance battles. Whereas Washington, they, they can be an adaptable team. You can set this team up to say, look, we're going to, sit back we're going to gum up the neutral zone and just try our best to just kill this transition game uh for the panthers and if you turn that if you turn each game into a rock fight if you turn each game into a coin flip then you're just hoping okay can vanacek match spencer knight or bobrovsky and all of a sudden the paths do start to open up a little bit um one thing that is concerning of course is alex ovechkin goes down hard in one of the last games of the season for the capitals coaches are so cagey with stuff and the fact that that laviolette said that uh, he wouldn't play the next night if it was game one of the playoffs, maybe it was a little gamesmanship uh, and Ovechkin could be completely healthy and he's trying to keep the Panthers off the scent. But uh, if he isn't hundred percent, then, then this task becomes even taller for, for Washington. But like I said, I think that the number, no matter what, like even at the current number plus two sixty that I'm seeing here for Washington, I, I would lean towards the caps. If it gets bigger, I'm, I'm in on Washington. And I also don't think if, if, if they go down in game one, if they lose game one and the number gets out of control, I would probably back Washington again, just because I think that people will overreact to, it could be a seven, one 
you know, thrashing from Florida. And I'll bring up this example. I think it was three seasons ago. We saw Philadelphia and Pittsburgh play in a game one of the first round. Pittsburgh won 7-2, 8-2, something crazy like that. And I think that game closed like plus 160 for the Flyers for game one. And then the next night it was north of two to one. So like Nick was talking about before with the must win narrative, you can also bet against game one overreactions to, especially the big blowout. So there are different ways to get involved in Washington and, and I'll be looking to back them more than I am looking to uh, play the Panthers here. All right, Nick, uh, we'll see the floor to you as our resident caps fan. You know what Pete honestly touched on kind of my main concerns pretty effectively. I think it's, it's just going to, we've seen from Oshie and backs from all year, they're kind of not what they were. And it just seems like it's such a parlay of stuff that needs to work out for them to win this series. Uh, I'm pretty low on their chances. I think we kind of know Backstrom's probably not going to be much of a difference maker. Uh, Oshie's kind of right there with them. And then I'm pretty suspicious that Obi is actually hurt fairly bad. So we've never really seen him. Obviously, they could have played it safe, but they were playing for a lot. And I think it could be one of those things like when he got need by Kadri came in, played the rest of the games, but wasn't the same player right before the playoffs. Um, and I, I just, there's a lot that I think needs to go right here. And I, I just, I can't really see the Caps winning the series, honestly. So you don't think that the plus 260 here is a fair number of that parlay? Honestly, that go right. it would, for me, it would just be a no bet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you touched on some of the right points with maybe, depending on how the gameplay goes. I do think I had been arguing all year, and I think I, try to do a pretty good job of keeping it pretty fair with the take on a team that I cheer for. I do think at a lot of points this year, they showed more than people thought, especially with what they, what they're fighting through. Um, and I think maybe if they had come in at full health with kind of Oshi looking like more of a difference maker and a bit more looking right, I might've, and especially if they drew the Rangers, maybe I'd be thinking they had a better chance, but I think this is just a bad matchup for them with how the goaltending's gone. And it's, it's hard for me to see them winning this series. One thing to keep in mind too, uh, Pete kind of touched on it. Washington ended up, I think, with the best road record in the NHL this season. Uh, just a good road team. And I think it kind of tells you that this team plays a specific style that is conducive to that, to weather the storm uh, and then be clinical going the other way. Uh, Pete, any last thoughts here before we move to the West? Yeah, I just wanted to chime in. I mean, because you look at the potential biggest upsets, this would certainly be it, right? If Washington pulled this off. And I think they are a more grizzled team um, with what they've been through, through the years. And again, don't count them out because they steal one of two in Florida and maybe Florida. We don't know yet if Florida is going to have Aaron Ekblad back, but Florida's defense, um, while they do have options that can score like Forsling and Montour and, and Uyghur, of course, like, their defense is kind of an abyss without without Aaron Ekblad. So that is a huge injury storyline. If we're gonna, if I'm gonna say that about Carolina, who's a much more structured team, that one player missing could make a huge difference. Then I'll certainly say that, you know, Ekblad missing against a team like the Caps with a great road record, like you said, could be a big difference. And if you were to ask me out of the big like long shots like the caps and and the predators out west and and the dallas stars who do i like the most out of those three to actually win the series i might lean towards the capitals over nashville or dallas just uh, because of what i've seen this season through thick and thin for them 
Whereas, you know, I think ultimately those two other series uh, more times than not are probably going to go in the other direction. Yeah. And one thing I would add, I guess, that I didn't touch on is this Washington defense core is a lot better than they've gotten credit for. I think like they've got a lot of guys who've had really underrated seasons. Nick Jensen's played unreal. Martin Farivari has been really sharp on the top pair. So I, I do actually think they're a better team than they're getting credit for. And I could see value watching some of the games and seeing how they're going and maybe looking to get in on the caps. But to start going in, I'm kind of feeling like it's going to be really tough for them. And then the other thing, compared to playing a series line, I would almost, I could see some value looking at the cup prices or the prices to win the East. Because I do think if you see them win this series with Florida, it's they're going to plummet from where they're at right now. And obviously that would show would be a huge sign that they can go with anyone, but that's, that's starting to get, obviously I, I'd like to see it go that way, but. but that's the right way to look at it, right? Like the Capitals are a team that if you're going to back them to beat Florida, then definitely take a look at their derivatives, right? Their, their Eastern conference odds and their Stanley cup futures, because if they beat Florida, that's the biggest hurdle. And they, like you said, they've cleared the best team in the East and now they are going to get a, should be softened up version between Tampa and Toronto because they've also gone through a first round matchup that could drag deep. Um, so I, I wouldn't say, I'd say that I wouldn't think just in a vacuum, Washington is, is worth a bet in, in the Stanley Cup futures. But if you are like Nick or you, you want to bet on uh, the Capitals, your Capitals fan listening to this, you're from the, you know, the, the area or something uh, I would go that way rather than uh, uh, just, you know, if you are going to bet the series price, I'd also add something like that. And now here's Action Network's baseball expert, Sean Zarillo, with a word from our sponsor. Now, on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you could win on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick their over or under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two to over 20 times the amount you put in. The main reason I'm excited about Over Under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I can join my buddies' contests and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friends' picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. So stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new over-under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money. Make sure to use promo code ACTION and Sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download Sleeper, then use promo code ACTION when you deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Okay, back to the show. I guess we will now move on to the Western Conference. We'll start with uh, what I think is going to be a compelling series and People have been talking about the series for like three, four months. It's every, every year during the NHL season, people just say, give me seven, seven games of blank matchup, right? And for the past few months, it's been this one. It's been the Blues and Wild, St. Louis plus 130 on the series line. Minnesota's minus 150. Uh, they have home ice advantage here. But Minnesota, two, five, and four. So two wins out of their last 11 against St. Louis uh, in their last two seasons. I don't think um, you should bring uh, these, these head-to-head matchups that you should weigh them too much, but there will be exceptions to every rule. Uh, this perhaps is one. Maybe the Blues just match up well against this team. The game one odds, Minnesota minus 140, St. Louis plus 120. Some models, I, I would say a lot of sharp people are all over the place on the series. A lot of people really, really like Minnesota, like Pete, 
And a lot of people really, really like St. Louis because I think the numbers uh, for both teams kind of skew the perception. And with St. Louis, it comes down to how healthy has this team been for most of the season? And the answer is not, they've always been missing a key piece and they're so deep and that depth is so important, especially up top to, uh, to their success that now that they are healthy going into the playoffs and they have three lines that can basically play against anybody in the NHL, I think St. Louis is more than worth, um, you know, the, the plus 130 price here on the series. And I think that they're another team that I would say, if you're going to back them here, I think they can pull one over on Colorado. I think that they're just so deep going forward. They can, if you have one weak link on your, of your forward line, the, the blues are going to find it and they're getting good goaltending from Ville Husso. Jordan Bennington has a playoff pedigree. So if they have to go, whatever way they have to go, there could be uh, an advantage. So I think St. Louis is, is, is an attractive proposition across a number of different ways and another team that I'll be backing uh, in a different way later on in the show too. So I'm going to be backing St. Louis plus 130. I'll be probably betting them on a game by game basis in this series. Pete, I know you're into the wild. So I'm going to start with you. Yeah. I mean, I think that what we've seen from the wild of uh, obviously the Caprizov ripple effect. Uh, I know that Zuccarello's dealing with a little minor injury, but doesn't sound like anything too serious. Same for Braden Shen on the other side. I mean, this this could make for a very hectic, high-scoring series, right? Even though we're talking Flurry and Talbot on one side and Cup champ Jordan Bennington and Huso breakout goalie of the season on the other side, uh, there could be a lot of high-scoring games. These two teams have the best and second-best five-on-five shooting percentages in the NHL this season. St. Louis is first and Minnesota was second. Um, St. Louis has one of the best offenses in general and best power plays, top five in both. So, I mean, even though I like Minnesota, I do like Minnesota's chances of making a deep run more than St. Louis because I think their goaltending is considerably better. And some of those injury absences, if it does carry over for Minnesota, could catch up to them. But, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, what Minnesota could do uh, down the road more so than St. Louis uh, in terms of winning multiple rounds. So that's why I'm kind of like, just by a hair, I'll, uh, I'll side with, with Minnesota in terms of the matchup in this series. Yeah. I think uh, it's interesting that, that there were some, there was a model at the athletic that had Minnesota's 75% favorite. And then a couple of professional betters that I know have this close to 50, 50. So I think the public and private data here is skewing a lot of different things and, St. Louis is the type of team that if, if they do steal one on the road here, they're so streaky, I should say. It's like they should, they could, they've rattled off wins at, at will at times in the season. Then of course they've, they've gone through losing streaks too. So it's, it's an interesting proposition in terms of the, the makeup of these teams too. Um, Nick, you like the blues. I think you, you think they have a pretty high ceiling too, too, in terms of uh, going a little bit further in the playoffs than maybe people are expecting. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty high on the Blues here. Like, I I totally respect the Wild, um, but this is just one where, given that price of plus one thirty, I see more value on the Blues as a side. Um, these teams are both really good at uh, creating the kinds of chances that are are going to lead to goals very often. Like, I I totally agree. I think even when we see things tighten up in the playoffs, they're both still going to put together a lot of high offensive outputs here. They're both high on the slot passes completed lists. The blues are really, really notably good at forcing goaltenders to move. Like I think a lot of times we're going to see them not falling into these traps where they're getting 30 shots and one goal too often. I think if they control a fair share of the play, they'll get their offensive output together. 
And then the other thing, so one of the hugest concerns all season long was that left side defensively. But when they have Letty in there now, it is when they're actually playing with the full lineup, it should be a lot better. We saw their defensive analytics uh, did improve a lot since the deadline, even still without Krug. So I do think there's a pretty high ceiling for the Blues. Yeah, I think this is a trade that will be near and dear to your heart, Nick. The Michael Kempney trade, when when the Blues traded for Nick Letty, I was like, this is the, the perfect example of a trade deadline acquisition that what it does more than anything, it doesn't tip the scales um, like a tr- Claude Giroux trade could do, but it puts everybody in their right position. Nick Letty has been through numerous playoff runs with the Islanders now playing that, you know, two number two pair role, uh, number three pair role uh, on the left side. He can, he can move the puck. He can play a little power play time. He can give you that like 30 seconds at the end of a power play uh, to keep momentum going or pre- perhaps Nick a goal uh, with the second unit. Uh, so he, he made them better, not because he, he's been great, but just because he's put everybody else in, in the right position yeah. and, and against this wild team, it, that matters. For sure. Like they're, I totally see the wild have three excellent lines too. Um, I just think there's a little, a little more, the blues have three lines that have so much scoring talent that I think it's, I see so much upside with how they could shake out like Kairos if Cairo could be such an X factor with how, like what his skill set all entails and where they're kind of capable of placing him in the lineup. And yeah, I totally see your point on the Letty thing. It's just such an addition by subtraction where that was their clear worst spot in the lineup. And they brought in a guy who's not amazing, but he's going to help them so much in those minutes. And then the last thing I'll touch on, well, I kind of have the floor here. So a prop that I really liked in this series, if you can get, Series score to be 2-2 after four games. It should be plus 145. And I really like that. I think this is a market where since there's five outcomes, we get a well past plus number on the most likely one. But I think it's just so much of the time the series can be 2-2 that, yeah, I, I see value on that as kind of a unique problem. Um, all right, let's move on to the, the widest odds for the first round. Colorado, minus 650, gets Nashville, plus 450. The game one odds, minus 320 for the Avs. Nashville plus 250 Colorado's minus the series spread. So minus two and a half games in a best of seven series for them to win by three games or, or sweep minus minus one ten. So that goes to show that just tells you kind of how everyone is expecting the series to shake out. And it would be a lot tighter if the uh, predators didn't have a crucial injury to you Saros, who was playing like a Vezina goalie for the first 60 games of the season kind of slowed down a little bit as uh, the game started to pile up and then he got hurt in the last week of the season. So now we're going to see big save Dave Riddick, most likely in goal for Nashville or a banged up you Saros. If, if they really want to throw him in there before Saros went down with this matchup, you were think everyone was thinking the same thing. The only way Nashville wins the series is if Saros steals it. And now you're asking yourself, the only way that Nashville wins the series is if Dave Riddick steals it. And that's a completely, completely different question. Uh, and the odds reflect it. It's really hard to get involved with Nashville, although we will add the caveat. This is the Stanley Cup playoffs. We've seen Columbus upset the Tampa Bay Lightning. We saw Calgary after their their great season a couple of years ago go down to the Avalanche. Last year we saw the the, the Canadians beat the the Maple Leafs. So there's just there there is usually um, an upset that comes from nowhere. But that aside, uh, it's really really hard to kind of count the ways that Nashville can win this one. So it's going to be a uh, a series that I'll likely be sitting out. I think a lot of people will be backing Colorado on series spreads, uh, Colorado sweep. I think if you want to maybe get some value, you can back Nashville, like maybe over one and a half games um, because this is, you know, still 
especially when the when it flips back to Nashville, like they should be able to get a game on the on the scoreboard here. So um, then you're looking at a decent price on that. So that would be the only way I'd, I'd look to back it. Otherwise, it's a, it's a pass for me. Pete, is this as straightforward for you? I mean, I think so. I, I was a little looking back at the regular season series. I was a little surprised to see some of the 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 big numbers that Nashville's offense put up against the Avalanche. I know Colorado did the same right back to them, but um, Nashville did win three out of four in the season series and big performances from Roman Yossi, who like he carries that team just as much as Soros does. Um, and I think he's a big X factor, especially if Soros does not play. He would need to have a series of his life type of thing uh, to narrow the gap a little bit. Matt Duchesne playing his former team scored four goals against the Avalanche in the regular season this year in four games and had 43 on the season. So the Matt Duchesne storyline is a huge one. Uh, it was kind of like something I forgot about at first glance because it was a couple of teams ago for Matt Duchesne, right? But um, he'll have that motivation facing a bunch of his former teammates. Yeah, but I think Colorado is just, you know, well-oiled machine. They have to get over the hump in the second round this year. I think they all know it. Um, having Nazem Kadri healthy is a huge deal. Even if Landeskog isn't, I think Kadri's even more of a dis- different ma- difference maker mm-hmm. in the playoffs than Landeskog is personally. So if Kadri stays healthy, doesn't get suspended. This could certainly be a breeze for the Avalanche, at least in the first round. A point I was touching on before about the kind of narrative-based thing If after game one, if, if Colorado just, just storms Nashville here, just keep in mind, right, the game one price here, minus 320 for the Avs, plus 250 for Nashville. Um, doubt it closes exactly there, but just keep in mind what that Nashville number is because let's say Colorado wins 6-1 in game one, that national number is going to get ludicrous really quickly. Uh, and you will, you will have value on Nashville in game two. It's a bet. You won't, you lose more likely than you win, but um, just the, it'll be a numbers play there. So that's just another way I'm looking uh, at this one, Nick, you like the avalanche uh, to win the Stanley cup. So I'm assuming you don't really see Nashville as that much of a hurdle here. I don't, but I will say, I'm actually kind of bummed with how this worked out where it's Nashville's drop to Colorado without sorrows. Cause I actually believe in Nashville a lot more than I believe in stars this year. I think they've shown they can be a lot less one dimensional and there is a lot to like about their team. So I think for a group that I really like it's, and like I've enjoyed watching Duchesne's turnaround and Yossi carrying just playing at such an unreal level this season that I'm just bummed it's worked out where they're probably just going to be out in five games versus Colorado with Riddich in net. So yeah, personally, I, I, for a bit there when I was lined up, I was eyeing the flames Nashville series as the potential to be a little closer than people expected. But yeah, Yeah. I think on this one and the other note too, with the abs that I think is a fair defense. um, I mean, they obviously don't, they finished what two points short of the president's trophy or whatever it was but they played so many games with man games lost to truly elite pieces where I think no one lost that many man games to such quality pieces and was anywhere near the top of the standings like they were. So I think it's just a ridiculous comment to the depth that that team has right now and depth in the kinds of elite pieces that are going to control games in the playoffs and still be more effective when the minutes go up a little bit for some of those guys like McKinnon and Carr and Taves. 
I think uh, a lot of people will bring up this narrative in terms of trying to knock Colorado down a couple of pegs, which is this is Darcy Kemper's first true go around as a Stanley Cup playoff goalie. Um, so we don't know how he'll play under the pressure. But when you're backing up Colorado, there's really not that much pressure. you got to keep it to four or less, basically three or less. So I'm not too worried about Kemper, who's been really, really good this season as well. So not a, not a huge deal for me. All right, uh, let's skip over to the Pacific Division. I think Los Angeles is going to be a trendy pick to be that upset team because they're playing the Oilers, minus 250, Edmonton is. Uh, Los Angeles plus 200 on the series line, Edmonton minus 185 for game one. The Kings coming back plus 150. And I think the narrative around Edmonton is going to be, will they get the goaltending to back up their incredible offense, <laughs> you know, their offensive talents in David and Dreisaitl. Evander Kane's been really good. Evan Bouchard on the back end. Um, I think the Oilers have, and this is someone who I was very low on Edmonton coming into this season. I was pretty low on them going into last season. I bet against them in the playoffs last year in their round one matchup. And I don't think that this number on, on Los Angeles is high enough to, to bet them. I think that the gap here is pretty wide, especially with the Kings banged up on the defensive end. And Mike Smith has just been really, really good. And sure, he's the type of goalie that can turn off his form just like that. Um, but I think just at this number, Edmonton looks, you know, it looks appropriate. I think if, if, if Los Angeles was, was much higher. Yeah, of course I'd, I'd be interested, but they're not there. So nothing for me here. Surprisingly, I really thought that I would be getting involved on the Kings, but I'm actually going to pass here. Pete, do you see the potential for an upset here? There is always the potential with Edmonton, right? If Mike Smith gets injured, I mean, he's 40 years old. If he, if he, loses a game or two, we could see things go off the rails like they did each of the past two seasons. I don't know if Mike Smith has won a game in the playoffs past two seasons combined. Maybe if he did, it was only one. Um, But last year, of course, you know, it went off the rails quickly against Winnipeg. And then the game four kind of after the heartbreaker turned into one of those scenarios that you were talking about earlier, where it was like, oh, Edmonton can't get swept by the Jets, can they? And then they did. So yeah, that kind of echoes what you said earlier in the show. But I mean, I do think the Evander Kane layer is a huge one. I'd be very surprised if Edmonton loses this series. I might have picked the Kings had Drew Doughty been healthy, not even stretch run of the regular season. Um, I'm talking like if he was coming back for the playoffs, but he has been ruled out for the rest of the season. So that's a big blow to that defense. Sean Dursey has been a nice story. A couple of the other guys, Spence and some of these other guys chipping in. Um, but I, I just I think this is probably the best opportunity yet for uh, since that year when they went to the second round for McDavid and Drysaddle to just will their way past a clearly inferior opponent without Dowdy. So. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking at. And then Kane kind of gives them that physicality that they've been lacking. And Hyman does as well. Hyman, not, no one's talking about, just had a, a career year this year. Uh, even though he maybe didn't blow up and have a full-fledged breakout, still had a career year. And Hyman and Kane provide that physical layer that the Oilers have definitely lacked in the past two years. The one thing you do bring up with Los Angeles is, is we've seen Jonathan Quick have a resurgent year. Um and he's the type of goalie who can just, he's so tough to figure out because he's, he's an unconventional player um, that he can steal a game or two here. But I, I do think um, if 
Edmonton, they're plus 600, which is, is too short to, to, to pull up the sweep. But I think that this series does, in my mind, just have a written Edmonton under five and a half games, if you can get that uh, at your book, or you know Edmonton minus two and a half. Because I think the range of outcomes here are one of these two teams is probably going to win a short series. And it's much more likely that, that it would be Edmonton. Uh, Nick, what do you have here? I fully agree. Like if I was going to look towards Edmonton, I think it would be looking at a short series, like you said, uh, plus 600 for a sweep. With that said, though, looking at the series number, I would just say I'm going to pass. I'm still I think there's a little bit too much shakiness with Smith and some of the upside from the Kings. Uh, I can definitely see a world where they're they're uh, the Oilers are sweeping the Kings more often than that line suggests. But I definitely think there's things that can go wrong here where I'm I'm not seeing it as a good opportunity to just pound the Oilers on the series line. I think there's there's definitely some things that could go wrong there with uh, mainly just with Smith being unproven and I shouldn't say unproven, but just showing some bad form in these spots in in recent years. And the one thing that I think you could take as a big positive and a big negative, a huge part of his turnaround has just been how sharp they've been playing defensively. And I think this would probably be more of a comment looking towards the next series if they get into it with Calgary. But I do think we're going to see him struggle once they control less of the play and they're giving up more of the high quality chances that I think they will, um, even with respect to how much better they've been defensively under Woodcroft. But I think we will see Smith come down to earth when they play some truly elite teams and they're not going to insulate them as effectively. I think um, that point you made about their defense is, is a testament to the team and also the coaching staff. Jay, Jay Woodcroft comes in. He's coached about 40 games now for the Oilers and their defensive structure has just improved immensely. And his coaching staff does a really, really good job of matching lines, uh, I think. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see uh, him get McDavid the best matchup at home and and do his best to get it on the road. So we could see some some gaudy numbers from Connor here. Um, Pete, before we move on to the last best of seven, anything you want to add for Edmonton and the Kings? Yeah, just to kind of tout the Kings and what they've done this year despite injuries. Remember they missed dowdy earlier in the year as well and we all thought they'd be done they wouldn't have a chance to hang in playoff contention they've been quick to respond after losses this year they've been kind of a top five possession team shot attempts percentage i'm talking all season long so i mean there is some against the grain appeal in the kings game by game i think to surprise um but yeah i think the edmonton oilers are just a lot stronger on paper here that hasn't always translated in the past, but I think it probably will here. And then, yeah, I, one other storyline though of cause con- concern with the Oilers is that Darnell nurse is a little banged up. I know that Evan Bouchard is capable of taking on a bigger role. If Edmonton is going to give it to them probably would still be enough. He's probably the best defenseman in the series. Uh, Evan Bouchard, even if nurse is playing, but maybe it would give Bouchard an expanded role, something I would be looking at uh, in DFS or fantasy playoff pools, that type of thing. But um, yeah, I think the LA Kings are going to need some, you know, out of this world performance, maybe from that second line of Arvidsson, Trevor Moore, you know, that type of line uh, just to stand a chance to win this series. So, but I did want to mention that they, they have been good possession wise all season long and people have doubted them at different times 
and they've, uh, you know, maybe it was because Vegas ran out of raceway at the end of the season when they finally got healthy, the LA Kings kind of backed into the playoffs a little bit, but they still did enough and they had enough resiliency all year at different points to respond from some really ugly losses and then string together a winning streak right after that loss. Yeah. One thing the Kings will certainly be saying uh, in terms of trying to pump themselves up is we've been playing playoff games for the past month and a half. Uh, whereas the Oilers, not that they, they could cruise into the playoffs. Um, there just wasn't as much jeopardy because they went on such a strong run right after Woodcroft took over. All right. The final best of seven that we want to touch on. It's, it's really funny how this playoffs is shaken out. In the East, you're looking at minus 110, minus 110, minus 115, minus 105, minus 120, plus 100. And then obviously the Panthers line is wider. But in the West, it's you know minus 150, minus plus 130 for St. Louis and Minnesota. And that is the tightest lined uh, best of seven. This one, Calgary minus 300 with home ice advantage, taking on the Stars, plus 235. Nick touched on it before. I think if Dallas played Colorado, Dallas's kind of wonky game would have matched up better against Colorado and, and and I would have been betting them. This is a different beast. Uh, Calgary is just a relentless five on five team. They come at you basically like no other team in the NHL. I think the Carolina hurricanes are maybe the closest comp to them in terms of just continuing to, to get the puck below the, the, the dots and, and going to work. Uh, and Dallas just doesn't set up to perform well against this type of team. They're so overly reliant on, that one line and, and guys like Mio Haskinen and, and John Klingberg on the back end and Calgary, they have the horses to, to snuff those guys out. So not too many passes to success here. I actually think Calgary's worth a bet uh, in ter- like to sweep. I think Calgary's worth a bet uh, minus one and a half games. Uh, I think Calgary wins this thing pretty, pretty quickly, much more often than, than not. So I'll, I'll take the flames here uh, on the series spread minus one and a half. I believe you can get it at, minus 135 minus 140 and i also think if you if you want to get a little a little frisky you can back them you know minus two and a half plus 160 uh nick you're in calgary uh what Mm -hmm. what do you think here between flames and stars so as someone who does not support the flames i think as a flame spread bet is a good bet i i truly think the stars are the worst team that made the the playoffs out of the 16 they had a negative goal differential. They just ran super good in single goal games, uh, collected a ton of points past regulation. A lot of nights, I think myself and a lot of uh, fans were hating on them because they play for uh, a draw from about 15 minutes left in the third half of the time. Um, and I just, yeah, I really, I'm pretty low on the stars. So I think the Flames got their money's worth out of their their strong place in the standings with this one. And I definitely think Flames in... Um, in five is pretty reasonable take. Pete, do you have any interest here in, in Dallas being able to pull one over on Calgary? Well, first I wanted to mention, like I talked about the Vegas missing the playoffs ripple effect. It affects a bunch of different teams and Calgary's one of them. Now I feel like, you know, you can never say a team at foregone conclusion that they're going to go to the conference final or something like that. But I think that Calgary has a really great chance to do so even better than if they had to run into Vegas, who could have maybe clicked at the right time. Had they made the playoffs, you could say that the path is a little easier to win the cup out of the West for the avalanche. Now that they don't have to play Vegas, not only in the first round, but maybe perhaps later if they clicked at the right time. So it's just a storyline. Very rarely do you, 
you swing so much like in your opinions just because one team didn't make the playoffs, but that was a shocker. So just wanted to mention that there's definitely a ripple effect and it concerns Calgary as well. Um, Wanted to also mention that one of the craziest playoff series that I can remember in the past five years or so was when Calgary and Dallas played each other a couple of years ago. Um, That series could have easily gone in Calgary's favor They played a lot of topsy-turvy games. I think this series could be a little closer than meets the eye right now, Uh, but I did pick Calgary on NHL.com because I think they probably have the clearest path of anyone in the entire postseason field to make the conference final. So they really should take care of business here. They have arguably the best top line in hockey this season um, with what they've done, not only plus minus wise, but just scoring across the board. It's Ridiculous what Kachuk and Gaudreau in his contract year and Elias Lindholm have done together. I don't think Dallas has any, I mean, they have a great top line trio as well. So I shouldn't say they, you know, they don't have anybody to match that. But I think there's a big difference with what Calgary has now, not only with Sutter at the helm compared to that 2020 series when they played each other. They also have Jacob Markstrom. They have Tanev. They have Tyler Toffoli. Those are huge difference makers comparatively to that group that fell short against the Stars the year that Dallas went all the way to the finals. So, yeah, long story short, I do like Calgary more times than not here in this matchup. All right. uh, That brings to a close all eight first-round matchups. Now we'll get into the fun stuff. Uh, A couple of Con Smythe punts here. Um, One thing I'll say right off the jump, when you're betting the con Smythe, you, you should try to game theory it more than just saying, oh, Nathan McKinnon's the best player in the field. Connor McDavid's the best player in the field. McKinnon's the favorite. He's 12 to one. He's the favorite because his team is the Stanley Cup favorite. But if he's if the if the Avalanche win the Stanley Cup, he's not. There's so many players on that team that could seriously pop like Kale McCarr, mm-hmm. Devon Taves, Darcy Kemper, that he's competing against a, a much deeper field than, let's say, um, someone like, you know, if the Penguins win the Stanley Cup. It's going to be Sidney Crosby. We, we, you know, I, Pete, I remember going on the NHL.com fantasy on ice podcast last year and saying Carey Price was worth a bet because he was like triple digit odds to win the Con Smythe last year. Whereas the Peng, the Canadians were 50 to one. And sure, the, the Canadians were a big long shot and it just, they got lucky and, and got to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, but they weren't going to get there without Carey Price and he was going to win the Con Smythe if, uh, if they got there. So instead of betting the Canadians at 50 to one, go ahead and bet carry price at hundred to one. And I think we'll talk about that kind of stuff a lot here. Um, I'll just give a couple of teams that I'm targeting and then the names that I like. So Pittsburgh, I, I touched on it. Crosby's 50 to one. The Penguins are like 18 between like 18 and 24 to one to win the Stanley cup. If they win the Stanley cup, Crosby's winning the consmite. Um, So I like him. I think backing the Bruins, not only with, with future bets, but if you are in playoff pools and you, you got to kind of stack a team, whether it's um, a fantasy playoff pool or one where you're just filling out a bracket, you'll probably so many people will get backing the Avs and the Panthers that the Bruins can give you a little bit of contrarian value. And I think if Boston does make a run, Patrice Bergeron at 60 to one, Charlie McAvoy, hundred to one are both interesting. I'm definitely going to bet McAvoy. I'm definitely going to bet Crosby. And then for the blues, another team that I think has a high ceiling, Pavel Buchnevich, hundred to one, Jordan Cairo, hundred to one. I'll probably be backing those two. Cause like, the uh, Bruins, if you want to go in the Western Conference and pick a team that is gives you some contrarian value, the Blues. And one other guy who I think this one, because this is a team that is a likely winner of the Stanley Cup, not the most likely, but the Calgary Flames, 
one of the best three teams in the NHL. Andrew Mangiapane, he had 35 goals a season, second line player behind that top line. So if that top line, uh, they'll be dealing with the, the number one assignment on defense every night. Mangiapane has that like Ruslan Fedotenko, Brad Richards appeal to him. He's 130 to one. So that's kind of my short list. I'm definitely going to bet McAvoy. I'm definitely going to bet uh, Mangiapane at 130 to one. And I'm very likely to bet Crosby 50 and Buchnevich. Nick, who do you got? So my first one for a lot of the same reasons that you went through, uh, and I would just always play this before the Rangers outright. Shesterkin plus 3,000. I don't think they can win the cup without him winning the con Smythe. So I think this is just a perfect example of exactly what you want to look for when you make a con Smythe bet. Um, not that I entirely love the Rangers' chances, but I think better than 30 to 1. And yeah, I think you kind of commented on it, but on some of the true top teams, I think one thing to be careful for or careful about is there are multiple guys who could win it. Like I think the Panthers. Obviously, it would have been Huberto in the regular season, but to see Barkov post comparable production and more people realize that he's actually probably more important to the team is is definitely something I think we could see happen. So I think things like that to look out for. Same thing you said with the Avs. I think Makar would have been their regular season MVP, if not for maybe Nazem Kadri. So yeah, I just think those examples aren't as good, but I love Shesterkin at plus 3,000 on the Rangers. That would be the only one I would add. Any sleepers coming from you, Pete? Um, I do think there are a couple out there. I mean, like at the beginning of the season, I picked McKinnon because I felt like it was just going to be like breakthrough moment for the Avs. He's most likely to win it from that team. I agree with what you said, though, about there are a couple other guys I could see winning it. You know, if Kadri somehow has a ridiculous playoffs, I wouldn't rule him out. And Kadri, two years ago when they went two rounds and lost in game seven to the Stars, Go back and look at Kadri's playoff stats that year, what he was doing on the power play and stuff like that. So we've never seen what we saw from Kadri in the regular season, but we actually did see some elite production from, from Kadri, and he is in a contract year. So there's a you know really good storyline there as well with what the second line ripple effect of that Eric Howla uh, line change in the middle of the season. I think that, and I think Pasternak, if he really pops off, has that allure that, a uh, few other players have in the entire league. So, you know, if the Bruins are going to make a deep run, it's probably going to be because of their secondary scoring and Pasternak has that flair uh, that could, you know, make him a fan favorite uh, across the league. If they do make a run like that, um, as far as the Edmonton guys, I just don't see them going much deeper than maybe a, a playoff series win against the LA Kings. So it's, it's hard to dismiss players like Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl, but those are probably going to be a fade for most people. Um, if the Minnesota Wild, you know, become a sleeper, like I mentioned earlier, it's probably going to be either Kevin Fiala or Kirill Kaprizov. Um, I guess it could be Marc-Andre Fleury, but those are some, you know, kind of like what you said about the Eastern Conference and looking at McAvoy and if the Bruins are able to make a deep run, same goes for the Minnesota Wild and those three players, um, including the goaltender Flurry. And then, you know, you go really deep down. I mean, I see like Claude Giroux was acquired at the trade deadline. Um, if he overcomes his past playoff failures with the Flyers and really explodes with the Florida Panthers, he could enter that conversation as well. I don't know if he would win it, uh, but I could, I could envision a scenario uh, where his impact on the Panthers is so far reaching 
And if he really lights up the scoreboard and like something like leads the playoffs and scoring or something, there could be a window for Claude Giroux uh, to cash in after uh, being the biggest trade deadline mover. And Flurry's another trade deadline mover. So we don't always see a guy moved at the deadline that would be in the Con Smythe conversation, right, guys? So uh, whether it's Flurry or, or Giroux, that, that's a real storyline to consider. And it brings up the point that who's voting on these awards, right? Like it's, it's, it's not an objective thing. It's a subjective thing. If Claude Giroux, if the Panthers win the Stanley cup and Claude Giroux is up there with uh, Barkov and Uberdo, first of all, those, those two other guys are going to be campaigning for Giroux basically. Uh, and we'll, we'll see people really fall in love with that storyline. So it's, it's, yeah, it's not a bad bet at all. I think, I think, you know, you touched on it with Pasternak too, of, of the Bruins. There was just so many big prices next to some of these guys. Pasternak, Marchand, Bergeron, McAvoy. You can't really go wrong with betting one. Like it'll be one of that four in, in all likelihood. If they win, I mean, you can maybe make a case for Taylor Hall if he truly has a, a an outstanding, outstanding playoff run, which he could, especially playing alongside Pasternak. But um, those those numbers are, are really, really enticing here. All right, Nick, uh, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up? I this think thing? my last, just to kind of piggyback on what Pete said, like with the Drew narrative, it is... I think it is good to note that it's kind of narrative narrative driven. I think the one Crosby con Smythe Kessel probably did all he possibly could to make it close. And the vote wasn't that close. So I think sometimes you're always going to see some leniency to the right spots. I think the same thing in Washington, Kuznetsov did all he possibly could and he was still second in the vote by a decent margin. So I think that is one thing to keep in mind. And then one thing that I'll note since I did just look, uh, I think punting on Kuznetsov 130 to one, you could do worse than that if you were going to back the caps in some way, because he is, he's been their best player this season. I don't, I don't know why everyone hates him on this team because I, I think he's carried so much more of the weight than probably anyone credits. And I personally, if they were to make a run, it would have to be him driving the bus, I think, but that's probably a bit of a homework take. Uh, But anyways, you're allowed one one per podcast for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There are no Islanders around, so I can't I can't make one for myself. I will say that though. We'll be betting them to win the Stanley Cup next year. On that note, uh, we'll wrap up the Stanley Cup playoff preview episode of the Action Network podcast for Nicholas Martin and Pete Jensen. We wish you the best of luck for the next few months here.